The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Nody no 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 nody no no notes nody no notes from the underground. Well, I guess, folks, we should say welcome to the Burrows of Berea. But I am not your host, Rick Welch. <laughs> I am. I'm your host, Tiziana Severse. It's, it's a coincidence, as cool. I am also not your host, Rick Welch. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but I'm, I'm not, I just also am not a host. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we do have with us, as always, Rocket Man Andy Bishop. <laughs> yeah. Rick, what's your nickname? <laughs> I'm Rick Welch. One. <laughs> Rick Welch. <laughs> that was Andy's nickname for me that day. Oh, I, I love not, it. I'm not even supposed to say that. Be sure to beep that out, will you, Andy? Okay. Yeah. No, don't. <laughs> Keep it out. That was great. And and with me, with me as always is Rick Welch. I love it. I love it. You are momming so hard. I am momming super hard. I'm actually momming so hard. I'm about to mom um a, a second time. You're about to mom twice yeah. as much. Yeah, my momming's about to double. I am 36 weeks pregnant on Monday. Wow. So so um yeah, my doctors are already like I'm supposed to go in for an ultrasound Tuesday, and they're going to start talking about when can we evict this little baby. <laughs> Wow. She's <laughs> overstayed her welcome. That's and that's great. just what you get for being 41 and pregnant because that's technically a geriatric Wait a minute. Pregnancy. Technically, she's actually a host. Yeah, I'm yeah. technically actually you a are, host. You are, you are a host. And I am, I am a, a parasite. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> that's great. Well, actually, at, my daughter's a parasite, technically. Yes, yes. Well, she's I'm not your- I'm feeding off of me and offering very little except for constant trips to the restroom. <laughs> she's, she's dropped. For those of you that don't know what that means and- the baby, when they get ready to be born, will like sort of start traveling downwards, you know? So before she's just sort of like lived up under my ribs and kind of been sucker punching my lungs for the last <laughs> nine months. <laughs> but now she's getting ready to be born. So she's kind of turned herself and she's sort of sitting down lower on my pelvis, which is great because I can breathe a lot better, but I have to pee. Every every time I pee, it feels like an emergency. Like you've been in an eight hour car ride <laughs> and then you had to wait in the gas station parking lot while somebody who has IBS was in the bathroom before you, you know, like, <laughs> and it's that level of emergency by the time you get to the bathroom. And then I go and I pee like a tablespoon. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you are no different than a man in his late forties, early fifties. <laughs> that's my dad's and my dad says, yeah, so that's where I'm at. But in any case, folks, so today we're going to, we're going to do a, a, another notes from the underground deep dive on an individual Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done one on John the Baptist. That was our first step. Um, our next one was Samson and Delilah. Yes. And today we're going to be doing a deep dive on Mary Magdalene. Yes. Who was one of the more significant and important women within the Jesus movement of the first century. So just right off the top, you know, Rick and Andy, anybody really, who, 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 who what pops up in your brains when I say Mary Magdalene? I, I actually know woefully little, I will have to yeah. admit, about Mary Magdalene. I mean, you know the name that mm-hmm. she was associated with. Jesus. You know, everything I probably know about Mary Magdalene, I could, I've could i learned from this podcast, aside from the fact that she existed. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just— This just a, in, Mary Magdalene existed. Existed, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's actually yeah. a lot of people that say that she didn't. 
Yeah, oh, really? yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Well, there's a lot of people that think Jesus didn't exist either, but fair enough. Yeah, for me, I think the most my favorite part of Mary Magdalene, what I know about her, of course, I've studied you know rigorously in this in the scriptures about her, but she was the first person that Jesus revealed himself to. You know, and I I love the Gospel of John. It's one of my favorite, or as I call it, the Gospel of Lazarus. <laughs> but the thing that always stuck out to me was that there was a moment in time, albeit brief, when Mary Magdalene embodied the entirety of the church. Mm. Because she was the first one that Christ revealed himself to. Mm-hmm. And so now not only did she believe he was the Messiah, saw that he was resurrected, but she believed him fully. And so she being the first person, again, albeit a short period of time, because the, the other disciples would come to know him too. But in the one moment, and I think it's critical, and I think God did that on purpose. He did do that on purpose, which I find fascinating because um, one of the things that popped up, you know, during the course of this study is, um, you know, so 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 I'm going to get ahead of myself, like we always do. Yeah. But um, you know, in in first century Jewish culture, women were not considered reliable eyewitnesses, and women weren't even allowed to testify in a court of law because they were considered so like irrelevant, hysterical. Yeah, and like that, they're 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 their word was that irrelevant and untrustworthy is really the word that we would use. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that all four gospels, so one, all four gospels attest to Mary being present at both the crucifixion, the burial and resurrection, right? Right. And the fact that John specifically makes her the sole eyewitness and the woman responsible for testifying to that, risen, resurrected Christ to the other disciples is wildly inappropriate in terms of like what Jewish culture would have been, except would have been acceptable within Jewish culture at the time. So there's really no reason, like, so there's no reason to have made that up technically. If they were going to make something up, they would have made up Peter or they would have made up, you know, John, they would have made up somebody else, right? They yeah. wouldn't have made up Mary yeah. Magdalene it because it, it wouldn't have carried. The, it, it wouldn't have carried in the culture. That's no. right. It weakens the it weakens the the impact technically. Yeah, it technically weakens the impact. Right. So from the jump, we can see that the early and and again, we got to remember that the the earliest gospels, everything was written at least at least a hundred years after Jesus died. Right. Like, well. Technically, uh, it's there's a lot of arguments about that. There's they think that the letters of Paul they can be dated to like around 70 50, AD. Six, 50, 60, mm-hmm. and then the Gospels around that around that They're same not 70, time 50, period. 60. Yeah, so like, but like there, so so we're, but there's a lot of there's there, there's scholars some, contest that all the time. There's so. all these kinds of discussions, but you know, so we're talking about the Gospels. These Gospels were written at the very earliest. 20 to 30 years after the events themselves actually occurred at the absolute earliest. Yes. So within that time period, the fact that this chunk of the story had remained steadfast and solid and consistent. And the other thing about, to keep in mind about the four gospels. So, and we're going to get into, you know, this too, Apocrypha. There was tons of Christian writings that were circulating in mm-hmm. in, in the first and second century. Um, when the Bible sort of coalesced the New Testament into what it is, there was a lot of, they took all this kind of wide, vast array of, of materials and sort of like whittled them down into what we could create as a fundamental doctrine that we could kind of like streamline this religion and make it make sense because it was having different 
different flavors and all these different parts of of the world that it was popping cropping up in, right? So right, we wanted yeah. to create some homogeneity also because they wanted to use it as a political tool, but that's yeah. neither here nor there today. Um, so the the reason that there's four gospels is because there were different communities that these in particular gospels were floating in and around. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want any any part of the larger Christian community to have their particular Jesus story left out. They wanted everybody to be included. And they wanted everybody to feel important. And they wanted everybody's version of the story with whatever language they would use. Some people maybe say a grass mat because that was culturally relevant in like Galatia. But, you know, people that were living more in Northern Egypt would have said like, um, you know, a mat made of reeds. Like technically it's still a strong, it's the same part of the story, but like that language made sense to that particular region of Christianity. So they they included all four gospels because they wanted the diversity. Yeah. And the fact that one of the only consistent details in all four is the presence of Mary Magdalene at the resurrection, crucifixion, and burial. It's written at least at a minimum 30 years after the events took place, that attests to her relevance, her importance, and how much she meant to Jesus and how much he meant to her. Yeah, in some literature, she's called the Apostle of the Apostles. Well, and it's not even just literature. Pope Francis in 2016 elevated her feast day, which is July 22nd, which is supposed to be the day of her birth, elevated it from like a celebration day to like a day of feast and and required that that be her name, mm-hmm. that she's now referred to as Apostle to the Apostles. Oh. And it's because in John, Jesus gave her the good news. <laughs> she was the first person to be given the good news. Hey, tell go tell those dudes, I'm going to head up to see Papa and I'm going to be back. Yep. Go, go, go let him know. So hmm. she was actually the original bearer of the good news That's of right. the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So she was the first Apostle, Apostle to the Apostles. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's awesome. So how'd she turn into a prostitute, y'all? That's what I want to know. That's a good question. The Pope. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> if we think about it, like, you know, starting— So Mary Magdalene most frequently is um, is thought of and referred to as a, a, a loose woman, right? She's yeah. a, a woman of ill repute. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of looking at some of the stuff that has cropped up um, with her. One, one of the other ones that, that her and Jesus were lovers— and yep. That's not something that Dan Brown made up for the Da Vinci Code. No, that was something as early as um, as early as twelve oh nine. Yeah, he found it in his research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He found it in his research. So that comes from several. There's a there's one apocryphal writing. Um, uh, it's either like the Gospel of Peter or the Acts of Peter or the Sophia of Jesus, mm-hmm. where it, it's they talk about Jesus kissing Mary on the mouth, yes. and so that's kind of where that sort of circulated, but greeting someone with a kiss on the mouth in early Christian king, in like early culture, wouldn't have been, that, that wouldn't like, it wasn't romance the way we think of it. It had more to do with, um, it was more a reference to the level of intimacy and trust mm-hmm. and personal relationship. But yeah, even as early as 1209, there was a Pope, Pope Innocent ordered the slaughter of like 1500 people in yep. this one village because it was being heretically disseminated that Jesus and Mary were were lovers. Wow. Yeah, so super, super 1, early 1,500 people died for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me double check my notes. No, yeah, you're 15, right. 15, no, I'm sorry. 15,000 people. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It was more. <laughs> I missed, just, just, I missed a, factor, just a little, old, just a little comma. Just, <laughs> just a little <laughs> comma there. 
Um, but so, and so then, so then as, as time wore on, you know, and the, and, and, you know, we start talking to like the middle ages, um, you start seeing in Renaissance and medieval art, you start seeing her depicted as like a vain woman and a rich woman. And, you know, they start, that's when they start really like, you start seeing a real heightening of this idea of Mary as this like lascivious prostitute of a person. Mm -hmm. Because prior to that, in a lot of the like writings that we have from apocryphal writings from the third and fourth century, she's apostle to the apostles. She's one of the, she's, you know, just one of the guys, quote unquote. She's a relevant, important person in the story. It's not until the Middle Ages and it's not until the Renaissance where we start kind of seeing some of this depiction. And you mentioned it earlier. You know how that happened. Yeah. Pope Gregory. Pope Gregory. In 591, he was given a homily and the dumbass conflated her with a completely different person. Oh, really? He he did the same thing that I did, actually. Um, Oh, no. No, I didn't make her a whore. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got the word in. I just called him. I called him stupid. You're not stupid. He was the Pope of the Catholic Church. He should have known better. (laughs) In our our side study about who wrote the Gospel of John, I had stated that I believed that Mary, the sister of Martha, was the same, was one in the same with Mary— Magdalene mm-hmm. from Magdala. Yeah. And that my belief was that she was actually not, she was not from Magdala, Magdala, but that she came to Magdala and then left because she when she came there, she became demonically possessed and that Christ healed her of the seven demons while she was in Magdala. And then she traveled back down and then she was with her family. That way, you know, she could be both of the people that were within the gospels that had knelt down at Jesus' feet. Now, that's how I got her to the proximity of the tomb, which because she lived with Lazarus, like all that stuff. So I made the same mistake that Pope Gregory did, which was sort of heap this Mary up into the same person. And I didn't believe that she was all three different Marys. I believe that she was two, that she mm-hmm. was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Bethany. And Mary of Bethany. And I saw that as being a, a relative because they had a lot of means. Martha, Lazarus, and Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene had resources, money. Mm-hmm. They were, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A demonically possessed woman also later on is able to fund the ministry of Christ, Right. Am I wrong? Teasy's making faces. No, no, no. It's not that you're wrong. It's not that you're wrong. It's not that you're wrong. But backing up really quick. So first of all, Mary was by far in first century, um, in the first century CE, the most common Jewish name. Mary was the most common female Jewish name. So within the Jesus movement, and Jesus did this all the time with his friends too. So-and-so was the tax collector. So-and-so was the fisherman. So, you know, change Peter's name, right. So Jesus nicknamed his followers period. Mm -hmm. And the women especially needed to have nicknames when they were Marys in order to distinguish them from one another. So there would be no reason to distinguish her both as Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany if they were, they had to be two separate people because giving them the distinction of one is Magdalene and one is Bethany is how we know which one is which. Yeah. And it's a mistake on my part. I made the same mistake that Pope Gregory did. Yeah. But I wasn't as much of a bastard as he was. So much like a Pope. Well, but there's even more than that. So he, so that, you conflated her with two and, and that's, and that's whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but he conflated her. So the so culturally, as so Pope Gregory in 591 says that she's a, a prostitute, partially because um the the one of the first references we have for Mary Magdalene, um, she's actually 
They're act- she's actually referenced 12 times in the four gospels, mm-hmm. which is more than any of the other apostles or yeah. anybody else, right? Yep. Except for some people in Jesus's family. And so the most relevant one is soon afterwards. Um, and when I say afterwards, right before, this is, this is Luke 8, 1 through 3. In Luke 7, Jesus is hanging out with a Pharisee, and it just says a quote-unquote sinful woman right. comes into the house and cries and wipes his feet with her hair, to washes his feet with her tears, wipes his feet with her hair, anoints his feet with oil. It's this really beautiful, loving act of devotion and service. Yeah. And the Pharisees are kind of like in their—they're like, well, if he knew what that woman was up to, you know? <laughs> and, and Jesus was just like, shut up. <laughs> Shut yeah. up. You know, you haven't, you haven't, you haven't, you didn't wash my feet. She's washed her, my feet with her tears. You didn't give me a towel. She's dried my feet with her hair. Like he compares the two of them, which happens a lot in Luke. Luke does this a lot, this comparative gospel thing, which yep. is really cool. But he's just like, if you put the two of y'all side by side, who's the person who's been kinder and more wonderful to me? Because right. to me, it looked like her, not you, mm-hmm. right? Um, two things. Number one, Sinful could mean any old thing. That's right. Sinful means any old thing in the whole wide world. It could mean demonically possessed. It could mean demonically possessed. It could mean that you just didn't go to temple. You know, it could mean that you didn't honor the Sabbath. It could mean that— I mean, isn't sinful—I mean, isn't there this thing in Christianity about how you're all kind of sinful until you're— Yeah, yeah. it is. It's just within the context of the New Testament, when they say it in this regard— It's a special meaning for a Pharisee. Exactly. Especially because sinful in regard to— Upholding the law mm-hmm. when it's when it's referenced in the New Testament, right? So there's so 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 immediately though, we jump to the assumption that she was a prostitute because, because if woman. it's a woman, right? Yeah. If it's a woman and she's sinful, it can only mean that she had only, that she was it's only one way to do that. There's <laughs> only one if you're because women are so simple, you know. They've only got one trick in their bag. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's you know, it. You know, you know. It, you know it's not it. true, but in a way, you know, in a way, it's not true at all. But it's, and I know that it's portrayed that way. But yeah, uh, that is a really good trick. <laughs> <laughs> it works every time on me. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> Great trick. Oh, I wish it worked That's every funny. time on me. <laughs> oh, Anyways, man. but the, but you know, so so. So this is what's happening in Luke 7. Luke 7 ends with this. And then Luke 8 begins with, you know, soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities, as well as some women. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their own resources. Now, we're going to get to that part in a second. But what happened in 591, Pope Gregory's giving this homily, and he conflates Mary Magdalene, who appears for the first time in Luke 8, 1, 3, with the sinful woman in Luke 7. Mm-hmm. Nobody said that. Nobody said that. Right. Nobody said that. Nobody said that's how Jesus met Mary Magdalene. She remains unnamed, I assume. She remains unnamed. But Mary Magdalene never goes unnamed. Right. When Mary Magdalene is present, she's always named. And by the way, she's always named first. Yeah. First, every time when there's a list of women, she's first. So it is in, it is highly unlikely that her name just got like forgotten or left out of that particular story. It's far more likely that that was a separate woman. 
Can I can I bring something in? Yeah. No, there's more than one. There's several Marys. I mean women. Oh. <laughs> yeah. There's more than yeah. 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 Well, I yeah, guess, exactly. But right? Believe it or not. What one of the things that I, when I put my de- detective cap on back in the day, the reason why I put these two women together was because of what you are prior to Christ and what you become after you meet mm-hmm. him. And that Magdala is in the northern region, mm-hmm. and where he does this is in the northern region. It's in Capernaum. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then later on, the, there in John, we meet Lazarus and his family, right? But in the other gospels, you meet his family, but you don't meet Lazarus. They never talk about Lazarus in Mark, Matthew, or Luke, only in John mm-hmm. for two chapters, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then you hear about the disciple whom Jesus loved. So, and I'm not going to get too far. I just want to, the reason why I put the word conflated, well, the reason mm-hmm. why I put those two women together was because I saw him being in the northern region, him handling this woman from Magdala, most likely in Capernaum at this point. She was from Magdala. It doesn't mean that's where she was, okay? Mm-hmm. But that he handled this, this woman in Capernaum. The reason why she comes, something has happened to her. And mm. so to me, it seemed like who, whom out of whom seven demons came out of. Prior to that, if you watch The Chosen, she uses a different name. She In, in the show, that she goes by Lilith instead of her name, Mary. And then after Christ saves her, she goes by her given name, which is Mary. And so I don't, I think that they were kind of seeing- You know seeing, who Lilith is? N- no. In apocryphal, uh, there's, in apocryphal writings, Lilith is Adam's first wife, who mm. was um, not the greatest, and God ended up, Adam complained about her, and she ended up getting like kicked out of the garden, and Eve is her substitute. So I, I absolutely did not know that. Yeah, so Lilith has like a significance within Judaism, and, and she's often invoked when- and um, like an upstart, like an uppity kind of don't play by the rules, do things my own way, don't listen to the men kind of woman is meant to be invoked, as you'll hear Lilith. Yeah, and I don't want to go any further on this. Yeah. I'm just going to say, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it back and say, you know what, fine. If she's not the same person, and I can accept that, if Mary Magdalene is just meant to say, point out her, mm-hmm. everything that you said about her is true. Mm-hmm. We do know that she helped him fund his ministry, and we also know that she is mentioned more than any of the apostles, yeah. other than his family, yeah. any of the other apostles, right. and in all four Gospels. Right. So she is a very critical character. And whenever there's lists of women, she's always listed first. And so that's what, but that's what I mean. Like, it makes no sense to me that she would have all this prominence in and then, but then be like, oh, whoops, I forgot to mention her here. Yeah. You know, or I forgot, you know, and, and whether or not I there's I saw that a, as creative license for the well, author though. That's because yeah. I allow the human element into the story. Absolutely. And that's so that's sure. what I was thinking, but well, that's all speculation. But that's even Mary of Bethany, right? Yeah. So oh, that's, yeah, yeah. Even the, so, so what we're talking about now is this idea that, so Pope Gregory does this thing in 591, he conflates the Mary Magdalene that we meet in Luke, in Luke 8, one through three with the woman of ill repute or the sinful woman. We don't even know if she had ill repute. It just said she was sinful, y'all. That's, That's all right. I said. Yep. That could have meant she didn't tithe. You know? Yeah. Nobody in that nobody in that scripture said that she was a prostitute. No. And also she was pouring expensive oil on his feet. Right. So she wasn't like she went. She she wasn't poor, <laughs> which was another reason why I thought that she was right. She she had some cash. Whoever this this sinful woman is, yeah. Um, but nowhere does it say, you know. And 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 so it's it's in the story of Jesus, right? 
This is just one of the things he's doing along his way in his ministry. And then it moves on to the next. And, and like we talked about the other day when we were doing the Samson and Delilah podcast, you know, there's these like signifiers that that just mean, and then the story continued, right? Yes. And soon afterwards, or, and then they, that whatever, it's like, and the next chapter, the yeah. next thing that happened. That's the first time we mentioned Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. If it was meant to be a continuation, it would have said, and then that lady became a part of his ministry. He yes. doesn't say any of that. You're right. So, 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 so Pope Gregory is given this homily in 591, and he says that that woman was a prostitute and that that woman was Mary. And that being delivered of the seven demons is, um, and this is where we get the seven sins, this um, gluttony, sloth, wrath. Everybody saw seven with Kevin Spacey. Yes. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Right? <laughs> Y'all, Man. read your Bibles. That's <laughs> not in the Bible. Pope Gregory did that because he wanted to paint Mary Magdalene in a certain light. Yeah. He wanted to paint her in a certain light. So he comes up with these seven deadly sins, you know, or whatever, and like attributes them to this woman because she was a prostitute. And of course, this is also important to know. This is a period of time in history where prostitution is viewed as a profession of choice by wanton and lascivious women who just can't get enough. Right. I don't know if any of you know anybody in sex work. I no. Generally. No. no. Yeah. Generally, that's not the case. Yeah. Generally. No, yeah, yeah. It's, That's a general rule. Now, there's all different kinds of sex work and 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 um, all different kinds of sex work uh, um, that is legitimate and valid and that's what people do. But the kind that's like the prostitution of the Middle Ages? Yeah. That wasn't just because these ladies were really into sex. Yeah. That was an act of desperation. Sure. It was a last-ditch effort. Um, it was, I don't have any other options. Yeah, they probably didn't have a man in their life. Probably didn't have a father. That's probably right. didn't have a son. You yeah. know, um, they were likely had maybe maybe there was some um, slavery involved. Yeah. Um. So, but this was a period of time where 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 prostitution was seen as you know this sort of this sort of profession of choice by uh, by by women, and so part of um part of the 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 goal of conflating Mary and this prostitute and these seven yeah, sins and all this other this, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to rip this. This is like a quote from this guy, um, Bruce Childers. I read, I read a bunch of different books in prep for this. Uh, Bruce Chilton. He did a biography on Mary Magdalene. What he says is he says that like this particular depiction of Mary served a dual purpose. Her sexuality and her wealthiness at the time um, were designed to work in tandem to support the overall narrative of femininity being perpetuated. It was wanton. It was indulgent. It was vain. It was promiscuous. And most importantly, it was dangerous. So under Pope Gregory in 591, she became a working girl for the same reason she became rich, so that she could be depicted as the epitome of female indulgence. And then having her repentance used as the tool to subjugate and encourage women to perform this sort of humility that Mary repenting from her sexually wanton ways and her like lascivious. She's always a lot of times in medieval art depicted with like a mirror, like just looking at herself. Really? You know, pre, yeah. pre really? yeah. Yeah. So it's designed to shame women, humiliate women, and encourage women to subjugate themselves to the men in their lives with a certain level of dour self-deprecation. Mm. That was the point of that. So, so so from here on out, like no discussions of Mary being a prostitute, 
no discussions of Mary being Jesus's lover because first of all, Jesus wouldn't take advantage of those power dynamics. He just wouldn't. Yeah. It reduces Mary from a position of equal disciple to a position of sexual servitude that I think is would would show a lack of integrity on the part of Jesus that I can't possibly imagine him having. It looks to me like this is what it was like for women prior to Jesus, uh-huh. and then Jesus arrives, sets it straight, yeah. leaves, and then the men start their crap all over again. It's like this was yeah. the moment when Jesus put yeah. women in such a high position in his ministry. Yeah, like a lead by example thing that yeah. uh, d- didn't disseminate quickly or far enough. Right. Yeah, that's well, what it feels like anyway. Although I do want to mention, so there's another book that I read. This book's really good. Um, and I'm just going to read it straight because I— What's the book? I am not—so the book is called When Women Were Priests by a woman named Karen Jo um, Torgen, Torgeson. Mm, okay. Uh, so I, I am not like an expert on early Jewish culture. You know, I took some classes on classic Roman and Greek literature when I was in undergrad. So I learned a little bit about— Roman culture and actually, you know, a good bit about Roman culture and Greek culture and like the way it was structured, which is going to come into play, which comes into play for me for this. But, um, you know, and like, and all Jewish culture, Roman culture and Greek culture that were all kind of like intermingling Mm -hmm. at the time. Right. So there's, you have to kind of keep that in mind and pull certain pieces out and be like, oh, that makes sense because that culture did things this way. But one of the things that we, we run into is, is like, what was the role of women in Judaism and in early Christianity? And um, so this, she says that, so in this book says, women leadership in synagogue services was nothing extraordinary. It is well attested by inscriptions. So Bernadette Bruton's study of 19 Jewish inscriptions shows that women held the offices of ruler of the synagogue, elder, priest, and mother of the synagogue. An inscription from Smyrna reads, Rufina, a Jewess, head of the synagogue, built this tomb for her freed slaves and the slaves raised in her house. No one else has the right to bury anyone here. Another from Crete reads, Sophia of Gorton, elder and head of the synagogue of Kizimos, lies here, the memory of the righteous one forever. An inscription for a Jewish woman bearing the title of priest reads, O Marin, priest, good, and a friend to all, causing pain to no one and friendly to your neighbors, farewell. Hmm. And then we have examples from the Hebrew Bible, like Deborah, who was a judge. Right. So one of the things that I think is, gets sort of like insidiously scrubbed clean in general, of once Christianity becomes a political power, is this idea that women deserved any, that women had any powers of roles any of leadership of every, anywhere, either in Judaism or Christianity. But ancient inscriptions on tombs and at synagogues tell a different story. And part of that is because of the way that Greek and Roman culture had themselves set up. And when Christianity wanted to legitimize itself by going from being worship, being practiced in secret in tombs and in homes and wanted to be practiced in public spaces and public spheres, there was a lot of pressure to conform to what were Roman and Greek oh, cultural roles ideals. of women yeah. and cultural mm. ideas, huh. not necessarily Jewish ideas. Yeah. Yeah, there's something. So, but let's let's but let's rewind a little bit. Okay. So now we've 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 got an idea of what Mary's not, mm-hmm. based on sort of a dissection of history and culture. So now we need to know. So then, what maybe was she? I'd just right. like to sum it all up. Yeah. There's one woman, 
And, yeah. and she can commit only one sin. That's, right. <laughs> are, that's yeah, what I've learned that's today. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah, Mary Andy is, is tracking. Right? He's, <laughs> he's staying on Paying attention. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry. So let's find out who she is now, huh? So let's find out who she is. So so back to the Bible, right? That's that's our, our most significant source of information regarding Mary. And let's just get that out of the way right now. Mm-hmm. Everything is conjecture and hearsay. We don't know much of anything right. about her actual history because there is no explicit evidence. Nobody said she was born to this person. It's not like Jesus Christ where we have this like amazing lineage. This is who his parents were. This is where he was born. This is what happened, right? We have none of that with Mary. Right. So what we're doing here is we're going to we're going to parse out what the Bible does say and then we're going to do what we do best on this show, which is try to fill in the blanks based on what other parts of the Bible might have said, what culture says, and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. So back to the beginning. Um, Mary Magdalene is mentioned 12 times in the canonical Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The vast majority of these mentions are at the crucifixion and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right. So the vast majority of those verses are sort of repeated Throughout all four Gospels, Jesus was dying and Mary Magdalene and Mary of so-and-so and Joanna was there. Right. Right? Most of them are simple. Um, the one that we have that is repeated both in Luke and in Mark is this idea that Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their own resources. That's the Luke 8 one. And um, the same is in Mark 15, 40 through 41. The first time we see her— in Mark is at the resurrection or at the burial. And it says some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, again, first mention, mother, Mary, the mother of James, the younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Mm-hmm. And then um, Mark 16, nine is the one that's like, now, so this is, that's, that's Mark 15, so a little bit later, 16, 9. At the resurrection, that's where he's like, now after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, which is attested to again in John. That's right. And from whom he cast out seven demons. So, so far, based on these three verses, we have, she was with a bunch of other women who supported his ministry and cared for his needs. And out of her came seven demons. That's right. So what's up with seven demons? Yeah, there's something. It seems to that. like a lot of demons. Mean? Yeah. So since that, so 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 there are two things that are significant for us to discuss in terms of the Bible. First of all, Mary of Mag- Mary Magdalene. She was means she was probably from Magdala. Now, well, we have a map, by the way. Can we put mm. the map on the website? I tested yeah. it to you. Yeah. We have a map of the Sea of Galilee. Yes. And this has to do with like Jesus's ministry. So Jesus had to like bail out of Nazareth whenever he opened the scroll. And like read today, the scroll has been fulfilled and you're hearing everybody like loses their mind. Mm -hmm. Jesus has to like bail. And it says that what he does is he goes up to Capernaum and sort of like establishes himself there and starts traveling in and around Galilee. And that's kind of where his ministry is. Capernaum and Magdala are like 10 miles apart. That's right. The real super, super, super close, right? Mm -hmm. So what we know from Mary is she's from Magdala and seven demons. So let's, let's parse that out. Okay. Where do you want to start? What do you think is significant about the seven demons? A lot. <laughs> Good. So, so there's so, so scholars really appear to be divided on this one. Um, seven is the number of completion. 
right? right? In Jewish culture. And uh, for example, Bart Ehrman would argue that it's so just symbolic. So she's done with demons at that point. Full. Well, she's she's full, right? Yes. <laughs> That's the she's, idea. She's, she's completely she is completely under the power of um of sin essentially. Yes. Mm-hmm. She's completely under the power of sin. She has no power of her own volition and she is she is a, a simply a vessel for darkness, right? Right. So Bart Ehrman for example would say that it's it's symbolic and it just means that her suffering was was complete, right? Yes. Um, later on in Luke, when Jesus is talking about exorcism and he says that a, a demon is exorcised from a person, it will go out and wander through the watery place. Right. And then when it returns and finds its host clean and well swept, um, what does it do? It goes and finds seven. Seven. Yeah. And they come back. Um, also interesting of note is in the gospel of Mary herself. Mm-hmm. So, Seven features prominently. Um, we don't. We have seven deadly sins, and seven deadly sins is not is the seven deadly sins that we think of as seven deadly sins are not real, but um, there actually are uh, seven sins. There are. Uh, I like to. I like to find the exact thing. Proverbs six. 16 through 9. There are six things the Lord hates, indeed seven that are an abomination to him. A proud look, one. A lying tongue, two. Hands that shed innocent blood, three. A heart that manufactures wicked thoughts and plans, four. Feet that are swift in running to evil, five. A false witness who bears lies and who sows dissension among the brethren, seven. Mm-hmm. How do we get our, our seven deadly sins out of that? Pope Gregory made it up Yeah, because he that's... wanted to find a way to make Mary look like a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so when he said she had seven demons, he comes up with all these seven demons like greed and lust and huh. and, and and all and and um what is it? Their wrath, greed, lust, gluttony, like they're all sloth. these yeah, sloth, laziness. So he's painting a picture of this like lascivious, wanton, lazy, greedy woman. Some of which are contradictory, by the way. Yeah. I'd like to see you be wrathful and slothful. It's very difficult. Uh, have you ever seen Jabba the Hutt? <laughs> Fair enough. He gets I would I would say that though he does not move physically, Jabba the Hutt gets things done. <laughs> That's true. So I he's, yeah. he's slothful in, in physicality, but not in mentality. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, that's the, but that's the thing, like it, that's the, but that's the thing where we have to start really thinking about what we consider kind of quote unquote cultural Christianity versus what is Christianity. Yeah. Cause there actually are seven deadly sins mm-hmm. and they are nothing like the seven that he suggested. Right. But the seven that he suggested were used to paint a very specific picture that were used to malign the specific woman, which was then turned to use as a model to subjugate all women and huh. also to support the sort of generalized belief system in mo- many cultures, Jewish culture as well in some regards, right? Mm-hmm. That women were just kind of like less than. They weren't as smart as men. They weren't as good as men. They they didn't have the same, they literally didn't have the same mental and spiritual capacity as men, which is what makes, again, Jesus so rad. Yep. Because when Mary is like, when Martha's like, go tell my sister to get off her butt and quit like, you know, listening to you talk and help me cook in the kitchen. Jesus every, is like, no way. Every time you say Jesus is rad somewhere, an angel does a kickflip. Kickflip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I better say it a lot then, because I can just imagine like a whole slew of angels kickflipping. <laughs> Jesus, rad, 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 rad. 
<laughs> yeah. And I, with, it's like a Bruce Lee montage now in my head of angels. <laughs> yep. I like where you're going with the seven. I'm just curious, like, from the biblical perspective, all right, yeah. let's take the Pope out of it. Let's take all of it. Yeah. Why was it in the Bible to begin with? Like, what's, is it just, oh, it's just seven, or is there a meaning to it? Well, that's what I don't know. See, that's the thing. We don't really, I don't know that we know. So, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm looking at other places in the Bible where seven is used as uh, more of a placeholder for an idea. I think you already described it. I think you've yeah. already, I think biblically you've already broken down for us by using yeah. what Jesus said about swept the house and bringing the seven. Yeah. I think that she had swept her house, but then it went back and then was fully back into her, whatever sure. her life was. You it's know? possible. There's, like, we have yeah. no idea. No, like, there's not. This guy, this guy, so this guy, Bruce, this guy's Bruce Chilton. He did a, the, the biography of Mary Magdalene. I, I read, I started reading it and then I quit reading it because he makes a lot of leaps that for me have no basis in anything. Like he starts making all these leaps about like, this is who she was. I'm like, bro, we don't know. You don't even know that really. Right. And so like one of the things he says is he paints this picture of Mary being more like the man of the tombs. Because mm -hmm. we do have, so. Because he has, we have we several many. examples. That's more than seven. But here's the thing. We have several examples of demonic possession within right. the gospels. Yes. Some of them, like Legion, the man of the tombs, yep. who is cutting himself and wailing, um, likely suffering from a lot of mental illness, right? And out of him comes a legion of demons. Then you have, for example, in the book of Acts, you have the uh, slave girl that's following Paul around saying right. this man, she was demon possessed, but all she did was tell people's futures. And she was a slave girl that made her people, her owners, lots of money. Right. So that's another example of demon possession. Yep. Um, people that were healed of, of of, of ancient Jewish culture thought of demons like illnesses that were like contagious. So even some of these people that were just being like healed of, of blindness, mm -hmm. it was considered a demonic possession. You know what I mean? Yes. So, so to, 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 we have many examples of what it looks like to have a life manifested with demonic possession. Mm -hmm. We also know what it looks like to have Jesus tormented by demons. Sure. Right? And tormented by the devil and all that other stuff. Um, and within the context of like Roman and Greek culture, a lot of times demon was just a word used to describe any kind of spirit entity that lived in the other world. Right. It, you know? Um, so it's hard to say. So Bruce Chilton, just, he just assumes that her demonic possession was a tantamount to Legion, that she was probably had tons of emotional and mental health issues, that she was probably very poor, that she probably um, had no family at all because of her possession. She was living like the man of the tombs, like by her wits in the streets. Maybe that's, maybe she was a prostitute because maybe that's how she survived. Um, and for him, he also makes this like massive leap that her exorcism took a year mm -hmm. um, because the seven demons took such a long time to come out. And that that's part of why she was so devoted to him was because she'd had this like demonic possession that put her in a, a lower caste of society. And again, he bases this on how Jewish people often treated those that had these kind of real obvious demonic possessions, like the man of the tombs. He right. wasn't exactly like running for mayor anytime soon, no. you know? And so he's basing... He's assuming that her, the manifestation of her seven demons was the same as this guy's kind of thing. Um, I don't see that in the text. And if she's no. going to turn around and support his ministry, I don't see that in the text either. Have you ever heard of the seven gods of fortune? 
No. Okay, so there's this, it's a Japanese culture thing, uh-huh. okay, but Magdala was on the coast, right? Yeah. It was a fisher, fisherman city, mm-hmm. basically. And so they had a lot of trade yeah. in that area. Yeah. And so uh, it's it's quite a far way away from Japan, so don't so let's not go there. It probably didn't happen that way. But um, there's this belief that there were these seven gods, and each one of them had a portion of fortune. And they have names, there's a whole big thing to it. But- just again, speculation. We'll get to brass tacks on her in a minute, but uh, it seems like there was also sort of like this errant belief among the rabbis of these same things, like uh, the love of money, of course, um, is the root of all sorts of evil, the Bible says. So for her, if you think of the gods of fortune, like I don't, I disagree with Chilton. I don't think she was poor at all. How can you give of your means if you're poor? So, right? so she had something. So to me, it's almost like her. God was more of what she did with her money because it makes more sense that the first time that she's mentioned in Luke is that she's giving of the fortune that she had. Right. I agree. That's and, just the and, thought. And there's also there's also no um it says there were many women of out of whom had been driven demons and spirits. Yes. Mary Magdalene, the one that seven came out of just so happens, but that you know, it's not it's not out of out of Mary Magdalene who had demons and then Joanna and Susanna who had the money. Yeah. They're all grouped in to the same concept, right? right? So I also yeah, so what do you I mean what do you think? You, that's what you, that so you're thinking more when it says she had seven demons more that it was a reference to her complete subjugation to the god of money, maybe. Well, to me, it's to me. I think of it from a very oh, basic. Gross. What'd you do? I I'll had just it. like a mucusy thing that was super gross. Do you, are you going to blame the pregnancy like you did? Everything? Yes, forever. <laughs> Even when I'm not pregnant, I'm be like, I just had a baby. That's gonna, <laughs> you're going to hear that. That's coming soon. That's yeah. Every sort of <laughs> to un- a crib dis- near you. Every kind of unfortunate body function that comes out of me in the next year and a half. Yeah, it's the baby's fault. Period. One of the <laughs> things that I. A theme that I see in the Bible, yeah. especially in New Testament or in the Gospels mm-hmm. themselves, is that every time Christ met somebody, he always expected the opposite out of their character. So if he mm. goes to the thief, Judas, he gives him the money bag. If he goes to the weak person who runs his mouth like Peter, he calls him a rock. You see, every time I Jesus— love Jesus so I much. do too. He's so rad. <laughs> Kick flip. I know. So anyway. <laughs> he saw past it. He did. He and saw past it. And he saw what they were capable of. He and did. He called them who they were capable of. Yeah. So I. So yeah. for me, he called them who they what their real value was. He knew when he, he saw knew Mary. The power of words, maybe. Yeah, Mary Magdalene was whoever she was, and he cast her out and healed her. So he called her out of that. But then he also, she's a she is literally his closest disciple. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. She's always there and mentioned more than anybody. Yeah. But. What did she do for the church exactly? Oh, and that's a, yeah. So if you understand what she did for the church, then I think you can understand what he took out of her. Yeah. She was she was able to, number one, she was able to give out of her means. Number two, she never left his side. By the way, it says the disciples scattered at his crucifixion. Mary did not. The Roman, the Roman soldiers. That, I'm gonna tell you something. She was unwavering. That is, that is exactly right. The Roman soldiers could have grabbed that woman and raped her in the street. Yep. No problem. Yep. But she stayed there. She never left his side. And she, yes. when they took him off the cross, the women were there. That, that's Nicodemus and uh, Josephus, right? Yeah. It says the women were there. And then they came later 
to bring the spices. They were the only ones going. How are we going to roll away the stone? We're just weak women, right? That's in the mind. Mary went alone. Yeah. She was like, I don't even give a F. Like, she was there is, before the my, sun rose. This is my rabbi. Yeah. This is my teacher. This is my this is my healer. But and I'm devoted. But she had something in her that mm-hmm. Jesus said at the resurrection. This is what I think is key about Mary. Mm-hmm. Is that he says, Don't touch me. And that word touch does not mean what we understand the word touch. It means cling. Yeah. There's something about Mary that's unique. Yeah. And he knows that, and he has to command her to not do it. Yeah. This is the next step in your enlightenment. You're moving to the next. You see what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Don't hang on to what we've been here, and don't prevent me from moving on to the next stage of my own spiritual ascension, even though it means you're going to lose me. To me, it hails all the way back to the seven demons, you see. it's he, He brings whatever was in her out of her. Then she goes through all of this three and a half years with him, Yeah, and she never leaves his side. Yeah. And then when it's time for him to ascend to the Father, which is the necessary thing, Yeah. She still held on to the earthly thing, yeah, and he couldn't let her, and she didn't, and therefore, that's why she's remembered two thousand years later. Yeah, mm, to wrap that baby up in a bow. Jesus is rad. Kickflip. You know what? Yeah, I, and frankly, I think that's a good place to end this one. Yeah, I think that's a good place to call this for the day. Okay, because that gives us a really nice place to start from when we come back. Yeah. Um, so now that we've established what she's not, we've established how she became a part of the movement, what we think maybe was her process of revelation and attachment. Now we're going to talk about her role within the Jesus movement. Yeah, I love so it. So let's, let's, let's call it a day. You got any dirty jokes for us? I don't. I really wish oh, I did. Oh, no. Actually, I, had, I really had a good one, but it's so dirty, I can't even say it on the show. Oh, are it's you that serious? bad. It's really bad. Oh, no. Okay. Well, we're. I do have a it. very soft one for you. This is a, this is kind of like a good like baby kind of a thing. Oh. So, um, a woman is leaving. Or, or a Sunday school teacher is leaving her class, and she's taking her young children up, two and three year olds, upstairs to the mm-hmm. into the sanctuary. And she looks at the little, little children, and she says, "Okay, children, why do we need to be quiet when we go into the sanctuary?" And this little girl looks up innocently and says, because everybody is sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) I've been to a church like that. (laughs) So there you go. That's adorable. I love that. (laughs) All right, folks. Well, thanks for tuning in with us. And we are going to call this one um, for the day. But we'll see you all next week on the Burrows of Brio. Our deep notes from the underground on Mary Magdalene. Peace out. Bye. Dave Cristiano and Rich Cristiano have put out a film called Mind Reader. That movie comes out um, October the 25th. And if you will go to mindreadermovie.com, mindreadermovie.com, you will see that they're putting in 25 theaters across the U.S. If you will look and see if there's a theater near you, I'm urging you to go and see this film. The Cristianos are a rare breed. These men, you met Dave, Andy. You met him right here in the studio. He is a sincere man. He loves the Lord, and he makes sure to share the gospel in every one. And he's not doing it in a way that beats you over the head or makes you feel guilty or makes you feel threatened. He's telling you that there's mercy and grace and love for those who are hurting. That's what he talks about. And mindreadermovie.com. If you'll go to that, see if that if there's a theater near you. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burroughs of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. 
But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. But I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this could, I don't know where notes from the underground could go. I don't know. I have so much to say. About so many topics. Yeah. <laughs> Which surprises 0.0% 0. 0. 0 of people 0%, yeah. in the room are surprised by just how much I have to say am, about okay, how many cool. things. I am not yeah, surprised. I can kind of see you both. In the least. So I'm right. not surprised. Yeah.